Bibles, let's go to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verse 26. If you're able to stand, the reading of God's Word. And then we're going to go to Galatians 2 and 18. All those watching online, thank you for joining us. Under the Lord's direction, Joshua was getting ready to lead the children of Israel into Canaan, their promised land. The time had come to possess what God had promised over 40 years earlier. Now they were getting ready to eat from vineyards they didn't plan and live in homes they didn't build. I still marvel at the provision of God. Think about it. How many of us are living in a divine favor that we don't deserve and can never earn? How many of us are living a life that we shouldn't be living right now because of the grace and the mercy of God? Grace is a gift we don't deserve while mercy is not getting the punishment we do deserve. I'm thankful today for the grace and the mercy of God. Standing in their way was a 50-foot-high, formidable wall of Jericho. Jericho was the key to the entire promised land. And God says, you got to go through Jericho to get your promise. The walls have to come down. And God gives them Jericho, and this victory was a big deal. See, these walls represented generational opposition. It kept the Israelites out of what God ordained them to have. Anybody ever had any generational opposition? After 40 years of wandering, God turns the barrier that stood in their way into a pathway of stepping stones leading to their promise. But that wasn't the end. Joshua then places a curse on anyone who might rebuild the city. Why? Because it's one thing for God to give us victory. It's another thing for us to keep that victory. So we pick it up in Joshua 6 and 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. Watch this. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. If anybody rebuilds Jericho, it's going to cost them two generations. Well, that's Old Testament preacher. Well, I'll give you a New Testament verse. Galatians 2 and 18. For if I build again the things which I destroy... I make myself a transgressor. If I go back to where God brought me from and I put them walls back up, then I'm a transgressor. I know it's a little heavy today, but I've got, got to give you what God has told me to give you. Here it is. Don't rebuild Jericho. Don't rebuild Jericho. God, I need your anointing today. I need your power. God, help me to speak your word. God, help me to deliver it in a way that you want it to deliver it with love and compassion, but also with, with an unction, God, with a boldness that says you, you've got more ahead of us than what's behind us, God. There's great things in store for every individual. We just got to make sure we don't rebuild the things you tore down in our life. In Jesus' name, someone say, I love you, Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You may be seated. 
a historian described the overwhelming influence which Jesus had on an ensuing history and culture of the world. This Jesus of Nazareth without money and arms conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science, he shed more light on things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orators or poets. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Is anyone thankful for the influence of Jesus Christ? The change that he's brought to our life. But Jesus proved that influence is simply the exaltation of character and not reputation. There's a difference. Reputation is what men think we are. Character is what God knows we are. Character is about choosing integrity over image. Truth over convenience. And honor over personal gain. And we must stop overvaluing image and undervaluing character. Because we live in a culture today that has switched the tags. We put a lot of money on the flashy and put 39 cents on character. But we've got to change that today. And we have to start measuring people by their heart and not their giftings. What is the core of the person? Who, who are they really? Not the role they play. I don't want to know how good they preach. I don't, know, I don't want to know how good they sing. I don't know, I want to know how good they lead. I don't want to know the role they play. I want to know who the individual is. And Jesus pointed this out. The Pharisees acknowledged him with their lips, but he said their hearts, they far from me. The Pharisees taught and practiced traditions that they elevated to the level of Scripture. And that allowed them to ignore Scripture. They only wanted to look religious and use their title for personal advancement. Hear me today. Religion could be a good thing. As long as it enhances my relationship with God. If you dress it up just because you want to fall in alignment. With, with somebody's views or perspectives. But you don't have a relationship with Christ. Then guess what? That's not holiness. Because God said be ye holy for I am holy. The closer we get to him the more we'll start representing him. True holiness is a byproduct of my relationship with him. I know people that look holy, but they don't read their word. They don't pray. They don't talk to God. They don't love people. They don't bear the fruit of the spirit. There are two kingdoms that war against each other. And the closer I get to him, the more loyal I will be to his word and the more spiritually minded I will be. And there are people who use their holiness to measure their status uh, uh, beside other Christians. How do I measure up? How do I match up? How do I look? If my holiness is more about acceptance than it is obedience to God's word and a disdain for the enemy, it's not separation, it's conformity. Listen, when did, when did we have fashion trends in the church? When? when? When did the church become about what, what somebody's wearing or what they have on and, and how do we fit in? Can I tell you what a standard is for? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard again. You know why I'm separate from the world? Not to impress you, but to let the enemy know what kingdom side I'm on. This is what I stand for. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And when you come against me, don't get it twisted. 
love the Lord. The closer I get to him, the more I want to be separate from the world. But I will also want to bear the fruit of the spirit and have self-control. Why don't we preach on self-control? Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. What's wrong with self-control? What's wrong with telling myself no every once in a while? What's wrong? What's wrong with loving people? Because Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciple the way you love others. You could dress it up, but if you, if you look like you ate a sour pickle 24-7 and you don't love people, then what do you have? Look like a British bulldog everywhere you go. Just I'm gnaw on somebody's leg. How's that love? God. And, and then we don't want to deal with reconciliation. We, we don't want to deal with confronting things. We don't want to deal with Matthew 18, biblical reconciliation. It's more important than tradition. You can't have all hate and anger against anybody. You've got to go to them if you have an issue, and you've got to sit down and work it out. And then if y'all two can't work it out alone, bring witnesses with you. And if witnesses can't work it out, we'll bring it before the whole church. That's Matthew 18. Hey, look, these two don't like each other. Can you imagine having two chairs up here? Hey, you sit there, you sit here. Bring me two microphones. Hey, you, you, go ahead, state your case. All in favor of the one on the right, say aye. Oh. That's biblical. What about praying Psalms 51 and 10 every day? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. What, what, what about... Hiding the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because from my heart comes my influence. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I impart what I really am. And the Pharisees' worship was worthless because they were given higher priority to the traditions of men more than the word of God. When we become traditionalists, where we worship tradition over the word of God and we use tradition to validate who we are and not the word of God to align our priorities with his priorities, then guess what? That's not of God. God is not pleased with it. He's not okay with it. You... If my heart isn't right, then my worship is just movement. But when my heart is in alignment with his word, my worship moves things in the supernatural. It creates an atmosphere of habitation for God. That's why Jesus' greatest concerns were seemingly religious people who overvalued image and undervalued character. He compared them to whitewashed tombs looking all good and pure on the outside but full of dead men's bones on the inside. You know what he was telling them? You got pretty walls. But you got a messed up heart. Beautiful walls on the outside, but deep within, you're all messed up. They were prideful, and pride motivates us to exaggerate the value of our own thoughts. It causes us to elevate our opinions and raises the importance of what we perceive over what God perceives. Pride puts our needs above the word of God. In other words, pride always looks at what I think and not what God says. That's what caused the fall of Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How are thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Watch this. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I know you won't. Well, I want to call him a name right now, but I ain't going to do it. 
Verse 15, this is what gets me. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. And look what he's surrounded by. Walls. The sides of the pit. Pride exalts our thoughts, opinions, and emotions above the throne of God. And there's seven symptoms of pride. How do I know if I'm prideful? I'm going to give you seven symptoms of pride. Number one, preoccupation with appearances. When our lives are built on self-image and not God's image, we feel self-pity when people don't praise us or respect the way we look or think. So we constantly are worried about what others think about us. Number two, needy of attention. Pride says, me, 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 me. That's narcissism. Y'all didn't know y'all was coming to get a Bible study today, did y'all? Frequently putting all of the attention on ourselves. Jesus said of the Pharisees, they love the best places at the feasts. They want the best seats in the synagogues. They like to be greeted in the marketplace, and they want men to call them rabbi, rabbi. Listen, somebody said, why are you okay with people calling you Josh? Because I will never demand anybody to call me rabbi, rabbi, because that, if... Well, y'all about to get me on something right now. If somebody has to demand you to call them brother, sister, or pastor, it's not really, they probably don't really respect you anyway, or they're just doing it because they don't know any better. We don't need to go through correcting everybody. Just be who you are and allow God to elevate when he wants to elevate. I, I literally know people, they didn't call me pastor. I'm mad. Calm down. Dip calling you pastor didn't make you any more of a pastor or any less of a pastor. You just want to be called rabbi, rabbi. We want to, they need to call you Pastor Payne. No. Terrible name. <laughs> pastor Josh is a whole lot better. Listen, you don't need to demand anybody to call you rabbi, rabbi. Just live your life, let God elevate, and they'll call you brother, sister, pastor, whatever they need to call you. But if we go around getting offended every time somebody doesn't call us what we think they need to call us, then guess what? We're in need of attention, and we need to address that. Number three, overly argumentative. Oh, did, did I say something? <laughs> overly ar argumentative in person and on social media. You got to be as harmless as a dove and as wise as a serpent. Huh. Can I respectfully discuss something without it becoming an argument? Do I have to win the argument when it ensues? Question mark. Do I have an excessive regard for my own opinion? Watch me. He said this. Many possess a stubborn spirit. They stick to their opinions even if they realize they are wrong. Pride. Number four, selfish ambition. That let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. When is the last time that I esteem somebody more than myself? When is the last time? Listen, you know what this is? This is jealousy over somebody that may be better at something than you are. As a pastor, is there going to be people that can preach better than me? 100% yes. But if I suppress them because their gifting is better than mine, then I've got pride in my life and I'm not about the kingdom. I'm about Josh Payne's kingdom and I need to deal with it. Listen to me on Revive. Revive has a whole bunch of different speakers on Thursday night. You know what you need to do when you're not speaking? Be on the front row saying, hey, I'm esteeming you better than myself. I'm behind you. I've got your... The church will become the church. When singers start giving their solos to somebody else. 
Number five, unwilling to accommodate. Struggling to empathize with others and easily finding flaws in them. The most refreshing, refreshing Christians that I've ever met is those that realize I'm, I was broken and I'm still broken. Listen, I'm just a beggar simply leading another beggar to bread. That's who I am. And when I stop empathizing with those that are hurt and wounded and tired and, and, and just going through everything and I can't show them any compassion, then I've got pride in my life. Number six, inappropriate anger. How do we respond when somebody crosses us? How do we respond? Oh, I'm going to cut them. Can't cut them. Can't. You can't air their laundry out on social media. And listen, you can't text your friend and tell them to air their laundry out on social media. You can't do it. You know Moses was called the most humble man on earth in Numbers 12? Do you know why he was called that? Miriam, his sister, turned against him, spoke against him, spoke against his authority, rebelled against him. And God's judgment on Miriam was he struck her with leprosy. And instead of Moses going and saying, hey, Miriam, you got what you deserve. Should have left me alone. Moses begged God to take the leprosy away. And God removed the leprosy. Because Moses said, I'm not going to be prideful. And I'm not going to celebrate somebody else's struggle. Number seven, stubborn addictions. You want to talk about that for one second? You know what a stubborn addiction is? I deserve this. We have to understand self-loathing and humility are two very different things. And sometimes they look alike. I know people say, well, I'm just, I'm just a lowly nobody. I'm just I'm showing humility. Uh, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me. Self-loathing and self-absorption are not far from one another. And pride is always self-centered. Get down in the pit with me, but don't ever pull me out. Oh, me, oh, me, oh, me, oh, me. I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve this. But look, look at me. Look at where I'm at. Be careful. That self-loathing and self-absorption doesn't hide behind the title of humility. Because humility is not centered around you. Humility is you, you showing somebody else love, compassion, giving them a word. That's what humility is. It's me preferring somebody else over me. And the only way to deal with pride is to go into solitude and evaluate our lives through prayer. Pilots understand mid-course mid corrections. An airplane doesn't perfectly follow the flight plan between point A and point B. Even with autopilot, the plane must make a series of constant corrections to get back on track. You never become so godly that you don't need God. In fact, the godlier you become, the more you know you don't know, and the more you grow in your dependence upon God. We need God to help us. We need God to help us discern if we got pride in our life, if we've got hatred and jealousy, and we need God to help us discern if somebody else. Go read. Jesus often pulled himself away from the crowd, and he went somewhere to get along. So he could replenish and silence the roar of the crowd. Why? Because he understood character was never gauged by the applause of others, but by private personal devotion. That's why he was so influential. He valued character over the applause of people. His altar was greater and more significant than his platform. Before there was a hill called Calvary, there was a garden called Gethsemane where he had a conversation with God and said, let this cup pass from me. And God said, I can. And then Jesus said, well, let my heart align. Nevertheless, not mine will, but thine will be done. Uh, 
And I, Josh Payne, must live a life for an audience of one. I must live a life for the applause of Jesus, not the applause of people. And I need you to please hear me today. It's time to get off social media and get to our knees. It's time to turn off the TV and dial into the Holy Spirit. It's time to stop sleeping in on Sundays and start getting to the house of God. Because if not, we'll end up rebuilding Jericho. We'll end up back lost. We'll end up back where we were before God ever pulled us out. We need some time for the Holy Spirit to check us. So why are you preaching this? Because every individual is a builder. Everybody in this place is an influencer. There is someone that is connected to you that you're shaping their lives. And I want to be a builder of people, especially my children. And I read this scripture that Solomon built what David valued. Second Chronicles 5 and 1, thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David, his father, had dedicated. If David would not have loved the temple, would Solomon have ever built it? But it was David that penned these words. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. David, value the things of God. When Abraham dug wells, he understood that the time... And the energy he invested in digging wells were not just for him and his wife. They were for his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. What you're doing at the river on a Sunday morning is not just about you. It's for those that are tired and weary and wore out. And they don't know where to go, but they remember somebody dug a well. And there's a drink for me somewhere that can help sustain me for the next phase of my life. When we dig spiritual wells, they will remain even when we're gone. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This doesn't mean money or a house. Mom and dad, if you're watching that, this, ignore I said that. <laughs> Leave the money in the house. Believe me, a spiritual inheritance as well. I want people following me to value the eternal over the temporal. Because when God looks at us, he sees multi-generational blessings that he wants to give to us and our children and our children's children. My choices matter because either I'm leaving stepping stones or I'm leaving stumbling blocks. And I've got to make a decision. Because just as there are beneficial things that we can build, the Bible also records that sad account of those men who built things that led to spiritual degradation of generations. Creating stress and chaos for many. Nimrod, he said, I want to build a tower that reaches to heaven. He didn't want to build a tower for God. He wanted to build a tower to make a name for himself. And watch this. God had to come down and confound their language. You know what that means? That Nimrod couldn't talk to his children no more. He couldn't communicate with them. God confounded it. Aaron built a golden calf with the finances of the people to accommodate their thirst for the things of Egypt. It was the Philistines that built Dagon who fell over in front of the Ark of the Covenant and they propped him back up because image meant more than the presence of God. It was Balaam that told Balak to build him seven altars for an improper purpose to bring a curse on the people of God. But the word of the Lord came to Balaam saying, you can't curse what God has already put a blessing on. Ahab formed his images of Baal and constructed the groves for pagan worship. You know what happened to his sons? 2 Kings 10, King Jehu knew that his position wasn't secure as long as there were officials in the kingdom who were still loyal to Ahab's house, especially concerning those 70 sons of Ahab that was being guarded. So Jehu penned correspondence to everyone who had connection to the royal house and challenged them to select the most quali qualified sons of Ahab 
to fight him for the throne. Most qualified son. These leaders had heard of what happened to Joram and Ahaziah and Jezebel. And they wanted no part of Jehu's fury. And this is what happened. 2 Kings 10, 7 through 8. When the letter arrived, these men took the princes and they slaughtered all 70 of them. And they put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu and Jezreel. When the messenger arrived, he told Jehu they have brought the heads of the princes. Then Jehu ordered, put them in two piles at the entrance of the city gate until morning. Sons were made a spectacle out of because their father didn't leave them mercy. He left them judgment. Nebuchadnezzar built his image. Haman built the wooden gallows to execute the people of God. And those gallows would be his own device of death. Not just him, but ten sons of Haman were later killed in fighting. And guess what? They put their bodies and hung them on the same gallows that their father built and was hung on. The inheritance we leave matters. And I'm not just preaching to parents, I'm preaching to people that you have influence over people in your life. And you're thinking, does my influence really matter? The first city standing in Israel's way was Jericho, a secure fortress with high formidable walls. And God gives them the city and the walls collapse and the people conquered the land. It was the first city in the conquest of Canaan to fall. Everything was to be devoted to the Lord. The people of Israel were to take no spoils of war. And Joshua gave a clear command that all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron were sacred to the Lord and they must go in the treasury. Jericho was a tithe to the Lord who gave them the victory and God's people were to honor him with the first fruits of the conquest. Yet one man named Achan said, I'm not listening to God. The Bible said he took of Jericho and he hid it in his tent and they go out to battle at Ai and there's a defeat there and 36 men died they weren't co-conspirators in a Jericho temple heist they were innocent but just as the sin of our first parents brought the curse into the whole world so the sin of one Israelite soldier set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and brought disaster on it because of what he hid in his house it wasn't what he did in the public square it was what was hid in his house that cost 36 men their life and cost him his whole family God is not looking for perfection. I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying. But he's looking for sincerity and honesty. He's looking for character and integrity. And we can't become an Achan. How do we become an Achan? Proverbs 28 and 13 gives us instruction. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. There are four ways people cover their sins. They excuse them. I couldn't help it. They blame it. It was someone else's fault. They deny it. I didn't have anything to do with, do with it. And they minimize it. It's not, a, it's not that big of a deal. And the Hebrew word for prosper means go forward. These people couldn't go forward because they were kept going back to the hidden sin that they had in their home. And they could never step into their destiny. They kept going back to the walls of their life and wondering why they're so tired and wore out and weary. It's because of what's hid generational curses are real but it's not what you think we think generational curses are passed down just through bloodlines but I read an article said that a person's spirit carries uncounted numbers of scars that exist because of their family self-destructive habits 
our kids, people following us. They don't, it's not just what's passed down through the bloodline. It's our habits. It's the way we carry ourselves. I know people that won't come to church, not because of what happened in the church, but because their home didn't resemble or match what they confessed in front of everybody. So we repeat those same exact self-destructive patterns, believing that we'll reap a different harvest. Of course, we never do because the pain continues unabated. It's secret sin that leads to unhealthy patterns and habits that following, following it follows us. And everywhere we go, these patterns and these habits go with us. And we've got to address them and deal with them. The people could not let go of Egypt. And every time something went wrong, they wanted to go back to what the same bondage they were in. Every time something didn't go the way they thought it needed to go, they didn't want to go forwards. They wanted to go backwards. It's patterns and self-destructive habits. It's what we run to when we're weary. Fear of Pharaoh's army pushed them across the parted waters of the Red Sea, but fear was not enough to carry them forward. They died. A whole generation died in the wilderness because they didn't want to deal with their issues. And when the next generation arrived at the Jordan River, they had to believe that God was going to conquer the Canaanites on the other side. You see, fear can bring you out, but only faith can bring you in. Some of you need to leave the past buried in the wilderness uh, and you need to push through to the promises of God. You need to stop letting fear drive you uh, and you need to let faith drive you. Uh, somebody needs to let go of some weights that's been holding you back to what God brought you out of. Some of you's got to release some hurts and some grudges. Some of you's got to let go of some crutches and some excuses. Some of you's got to release some weaknesses and hangups and failures. Some of you have to quit vilifying everybody in your past and blaming them for your mistakes. You've got to let them be them, forgive them, but you walk into what God has for you. You stop living in fear. Somebody needs to say, I'm leaving that behind and I'm going into what God has for me. I'm tired of being walled in. I'm tired of being silent. I'm coming. Coming out of this. Coming out of it. It's time to start putting things in the past tense and saying that was me then and this is me now. I want my kids to know, look, your daddy was a hothead. He had a hot temper. I want to know, hey, 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 he, I wasn't always perfect. I made some bad mistakes. Daddy ain't going to tell you everything, but I want to let you know that was before Jordan. But when I went through the down in the name of Jesus and God filled me with his spirit, I want my kids to know, listen. People joke because I tell them all the time. I want to bring my trophies everywhere I go. Why? Because you wouldn't believe it if you wasn't there. And if I'm not careful, I'll talk more about temporal hobbies than I will eternal, eternal things that have, 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 have blessed my life and prayer and God deliver me. I want my kids to know they don't ever have to go back over Jordan. They don't ever have to go back in the walls of Jericho because God brought me out. Some of you need to sit your children down and you need to let them know, hey, look, there was some generational curses, uh, but I done crossed over Jordan uh, and you... You don't have to go there. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to live within those walls that I live within. I came across Jordan and I am a different person. We need to tell them how we made it over Jordan. We confuse them when we tell them we made it over Jordan, but we live like we're still on the other side of Jordan. 
And it, young people, you hear me today. If your life is better because somebody broke those past destructive patterns, you need to thank them every day. Listen, kids are spoiled nowadays, and my two are the main ones. When I went to school, I walked five miles uphill. Listen, I pedaled a bicycle backwards to get there. In the snow in Louisiana. Feel like that progressive commercial. You don't have to be your parents. Kids are too spoiled. They don't know. Kids don't know. They don't know. And I got to tell them what it was like when I would cry myself to sleep saying, God, I want to live for you. I just don't know how. They'll never know. Tiff said it the other day. They'll never know me and her sitting in a vehicle and I'm crying my eyes out saying I want to be this man of God, but I don't know how. They don't know, so I got to tell them. And kids, if your parents tell you tell you that, that God brought me out of some things, you need to hug their neck and say, Mom and Daddy, thank you for breaking that so I don't have to go through it. Thank you for bringing us out of this. Instead of griping about somebody wanting to read the Bible with you, why don't you hug their neck and say, thank you, thank you, because I, and you need to tell them, I'm not going to be the last link in the chain. I'm going to pass it down to my children. I'm going to take these blessings you've given me, and I'm going to deposit them to somebody else. And let me give you this word, and I'm almost done. 38 more minutes. There's an Old Testament curse of Exodus 34 and 7 that says this, the iniquities of the fathers would fall on the children and the children's children to the fourth generation. In the Old Testament, if your father had a failure, a mistake, did something wrong for four generations, they would reap that. But that's Old Testament. Because when you get to Romans 5, the Apostle Paul argues that from a certain point of view, human sin and death are a corporate problem rather than an individual one. He tells us that one man's sin, Adam, brought guilt to all people. And that sin... Entered the world because one man's sin and death came because of one man's sin. That is why each of us remains a slave of sin unless we are set free by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So here's, here's what I want to tell you. The skeletons in your closet weren't put there by your dad or your grandmother or your great aunt. They're the work of Adam and Eve. You were in Adam when he broke God's commandment. You were condemned with him, but that's not the end of the story. Just as you were in Adam when he fell from grace. So now if you believe in Jesus, you are in Christ through faith. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I've been born again. Why, why, why are you saying this, preacher? Because I want, I want to get the excuse out of your life that I'm this way because my parents were this way. No. This promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and your children's children. And the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote 600 years before the birth of Christ. And he anticipated this New Testament perspective that ultimately you will answer for your own actions. You know what he said? In those days, people will no longer say these parents have eaten sour grapes, but the children have a bitter taste in their mouths. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin 
And the one who eats sour grapes will taste how bitter they are. So you can't say, I have bitter, I have the taste of bitter sour grapes because of my parents. No, ma'am, no, sir. Your blood, the, your blood, your salvation is up to you and Christ. It's not up to anybody else. If nobody else broke generational curses, you have the option to break generational curses. The Israelites, Jericho symbolized the fulfillment of a dream that originated with Abraham. Musicians, you can come. It was the first step in claiming the promised land. Scripture says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Did you catch that? Jericho, the walls of Jericho was built because they feared what the Israelites were going to become. The enemy has gates as well and he has walls because the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So they go to these walls. For six days, God made them walk around the walls. Six days. You know why? Because they had 40 years of destructive behavioral patterns. And it took a six-day walk to break 40 years of destructive behavioral patterns that gave them a wrong perspective. Preacher, this has been in my bloodline and my family for 40 years. Were you ready? Do me one favor. For six days... Walk one hour with the Lord. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. God said, I only need six days to change their perspective and break behavioral patterns. Are you ready? And they walked more than they shouted. Six days they walked around the walls to get a new perspective. But don't stop at six. Because on the seventh day. They marched around seven times, and on the final lap around those walls, they began to shout and give God praise. And when they did, those walls that were built to keep them out fell, and they walked into everything God had for them, every promise, every blessing. Monday through Saturday, I'm walking, but on Sunday, I'm shouting. Because the author of Hebrews said this, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. And if you show up on a Sunday and shout, but you hadn't walked Monday through Saturday, your shout isn't going to tear down walls. But if you'll walk every day, if you'll walk every day and then you get here on Sunday and you begin to praise, how many times have we approached God with praise and he gracefully knocked the walls over? Listen, I'm never going to forget the times that I walked into this house. Battling behavioral patterns and casualness and spiritual coldness and doubt and insecurity and grief and hurt. But when I begin to praise God, the walls of Jericho begin to come down. Some of you don't ever need to forget the walls of drug addiction and alcoholism in your life. But when you showed up with a voice of triumph, depression began to flee and addiction began to break. And walls began to fall. Joshua pronounced the curse. He said, whoever builds Jericho is going to lose two generations. Some of you has got to take heed. Because Jericho to you is the social status you're trying to ensue. A career you're trying to build or a dream you're trying to live for your children. You've got to know what Jericho is. You've got to understand that, that there's a price for going back. Galatians 2 and 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. A transgressor is someone who betrays an agreement. That's why Jesus said, no man puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, it's dangerous to drive looking in the rearview mirror. 
Listen to me today. We can't ignore 2 Peter 2 and 21. It would have been better for them not to know. To have. Better, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to have turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. When we go back to what God has taken us out of, it is dangerous for us and for everybody following us. When Christians return to their previous unrighteous lifestyle that the knowledge of Christ has delivered them from, they will find themselves in a worse state. The walls will become higher. The depression will become greater. The addiction will be more than ever. It, he goes on to say it's like, a, it's like a dog going back to their vomit or a sow that is washed returns back to wallowing, wallowing in the mud. Paul was saying the same thing what Joshua was saying. Don't listen to the past calling you. The future has to be louder. It's dangerous to go back. For five centuries... Five centuries, nobody rebuilt the walls of Jericho. Then you get to 1 Kings 16 and 34. The nation is in spiritual decline. Ahab, the most wicked king there ever was, is setting up idolatry, places of worship everywhere. And it says in Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of his firstborn, Abiram. And he set up its gates. At the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, the son of God. Jericho was a symbol of all. All the antagonistic things that stood against God and his people. And rebuilding these walls was a sign of rebellion. It was a sign of the people of God going back to what God had taken them out of. And Ahab tore down every principle of Deuteronomy 7. And now Hiel builds the wall of Jericho and he loses two generations. Think about it. A man built walls for his children, but God wrote him childless because he forgot why God tore down those walls anyway. Builds. It's that attitude. If you go read it, it was the attitude of Ahab's day. It was rebellion. It was we want to do everything against God. It was that spirit of Jezebel that was running rampant. He built the walls. And his two sons who were innocent, who didn't have nothing to do with it, lost their life. Because a dad said, I don't believe in the promises of God's word. And I'm going to rebuild what God took me out of. And as he rebuilt, his oldest son died. And by the time he got the gate up, his youngest son. what I'm building going to hinder my children and those following me is it going to lift them up I went to bed last night and the weight of eternity was on me and I said God one false move one mistake if I rebuild any of those walls that you took me out of God it could cost everyone connected to me And I'm on a mission from God today. I didn't come to preach you up. But I've come to get you to look in your heart and to look at your hands. And I've come to ask the question, what are you building? What are you going to leave? Is it going to be wells and an altar? 
when your life is done are you going to have the walls of Jericho back up and those following you boxed into whatever God one day brought you out of? We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray.